Welcome to So Tell Me More, a podcast where you can join Prabnur and Navia, two psychotherapy students, as they dive into various topics through a psychotherapy lens. This podcast will get you thinking and reflecting on all things mental health, from self-care to learning more about what exactly cognitive behavior therapy is. We hope you stick around. In today's episode, we will be discussing self-care and how it relates to psychotherapy and the mental health field. So before we get into our experiences with self-care and some of the research that we found, we want to start off by really defining what self-care is. So according to the World Health Organization, self-care is a broad concept which encompasses hygiene, nutrition, lifestyle, environmental factors, socioeconomic factors, as well as self-medication. So it's quite a massive area that you talk about when you engage in self-care. And the definition itself is the ability of individuals, families, and communities to promote health, prevent disease, maintain health, and to cope with illness and disability with or without the support of a healthcare provider. And, you know, this topic is something that we've mentioned before, and we think it's really important to be having a whole episode on, but you may recall some of our previous episodes on burnout and emotional fatigue that we talked about. And there's quite a bit of overlap in terms of the concepts and just some of the importance of engaging in self-care that we mentioned previously. And one of these areas that we talked about and really try to emphasize is self-care as an ethical expectation. That's something that's been shared with us through our classes and it really has been emphasized quite a bit throughout our practicum as well in the sense that as psychotherapists and most mental health professions as well, I can't really speak for those, but mostly for psychotherapy, our CRPO or our governing college has standards that require us as therapists and psychologists to be aware of our own mental well-being and the impact that it has on our clients. So it's very easy to ask our clients to engage in self-care and offer them suggestions. But really the importance is starting with us and us modeling those behaviors and it really makes us a better professional in the end. Yeah, and I think that's so important to reflect on is that we often are here as therapists or as helping professionals to offer support emotionally, Mm -hmm. physically, or in any other way for the various people that we work with. But if we're not at our best, how would our services or our support be affected. And I think Mm -hmm. we were reflecting on this one paper that was looking at clinical psychology, but I think that it can definitely be applicable to anyone in the mental health field, where they looked at how a lot of clinicians often dedicate their careers to providing this high quality service to others. So really being there for them, being emotionally present and supporting their clients as best they can. But oftentimes, as we're going through this, we forget to take care of ourselves. We are so present in our clients' lives that sometimes we neglect our own needs and this really puts individuals at a greater risk for not being able to effectively carry out the professional duties that they are expected to be doing. And there are several factors that this paper suggests can contribute to the situation and highlight certain areas for cause for concern for individuals. And I think one of the big ones that they mention is this idea of feeling invulnerable. 
So because many psychologists, therapists, psychotherapists, all of these individuals in the helping profession often have extensive training in mental health difficulties, the various understandings of how people are affected and what are some coping behaviors and strategies that one can take, that they think that, well, because I know all of these, I, I don't need to worry about myself in the sense where I know I, I have the skills, I have the tools, but you might not actually end up using them Mm -hmm. and I think that's something really interesting where we have all these skills we know everything and we're always sharing it but sometimes we forget about it for ourselves yeah it's very much practicing what you preach and that's kind of what I was touching on before in terms of like we can talk about self-care with clients and we can share the benefits but ultimately if we're not doing it ourselves it can really impact our practice and really affect things. And something else this reminds me of is the idea of doctors getting sick, right? Like doctors have all this knowledge. They know about human functioning and all kinds of body functions that I'm not going to get into because I'm not, don't know much (laughs) about it at all, but they still get sick and they still need support and they still need intervention and things like that. And so, yeah, it's just that idea that even if you have that knowledge, the knowledge can only take you so far, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You need to incorporate it in your life and really be checking in on yourself and your right, Prabhnor, in terms of the idea that we are so driven to provide services to people and provide really helpful and reliable services to people that sometimes that that pressure and just that responsibility can take a huge toll on our own individual lives and of course, inevitably impact our profession, our relationships, our own livelihood. So yeah, pretty cool uh, thinking of it as a blind spot where these areas can kind of impact us and how even though we have the knowledge, it can, you know, really not be used in the best way possible. Yeah, and I think I remember in one of our classes, I feel it was, we were having the discussion around what kind of a therapist one of our professors is and them mentioning how although I am a CBT therapist or I provide CBT, I don't think that could be helpful for me. And that Mm. was also really interesting where it's like, because sometimes you have so much knowledge in one area, maybe you know it too well in the sense that you know exactly what's expected of you. Mm. So maybe trying something different from what is your comfort zone or what is your expertise could also be a novel way to explore what you're feeling. And I think this is more so applicable to therapy per se, but it's interesting to note that maybe taking that self-care piece is doing something different or trying something new that might not be in your comfort zone. I don't know if that's the most applicable, but it's just something to think about. Yeah, I think that's interesting. It's not always the case that what you're studying or where your interests lie are necessarily what works for you. And as we know, being students in this field, there's a lot of individual differences between people. Certain therapies will work really well for specific people and then not work well at all for others. And so just as much as we want to get to know our clients and find out what will work for them, we need to do the same for ourselves. It's all about making it right for you and what works for you and being very reflective on that. And I feel like sometimes when we're in such difficult, intense jobs, we don't have that time to reflect and to notice and to actually make change in that way then. 
Another area that this research paper looked at, which is a little interesting actually, is this idea that many individuals who decide to work in the mental health field have this increased sense of vulnerability to distress and impairment as a result of their family history, personal background, or even their motivations to go into the profession. And I think this is an interesting note that they made here because this part exactly was taken out from a paper that was written in 2001. So now reflecting on that date, it has been 20 years since this was released, but I wonder how applicable this is right now. I know that various individuals are probably drawn to the field for certain motivations or what have you, but I wonder how applicable this part is right now. I think it is very thought-provoking for sure. Also being in the field, I think we have a different perspective. Just thinking about trying to reflect on our own vulnerabilities is sometimes difficult to do. But yeah, like I think given that it is 20 years old and at that time maybe mental health wasn't as open of a profession that people entered. It wasn't as popular at that stage. I'm thinking that people who had some sort of personal relationship to mental health or had their own experiences with it might have been more driven to join the field, offer something to the profession. And that might be the case then where those people had increased vulnerabilities in certain ways because of their life history. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. moving forward now, It's a little bit different because mental health, as we know, is expanding. It's a huge field and it's only going to get bigger. And I'm thinking now that maybe the motivations change over time. So it's not always just people who have had an interaction with mental health or perhaps have these vulnerabilities, but people who are just interested in the content or want to provide something to the community. So yeah, what are your takes on it, Pravner? Yeah, I think I agree. I think the one word that took me aback was this idea that many who decide to become Mm. mental health professionals, and I think that maybe that may have been the case 20 years from now, and I'm not saying that many individuals right now don't have Mm -hmm. a certain connection, because I think everyone is drawn for various reasons, and many, including myself, have their own mental health journeys that may have encouraged them, or societal Mm -hmm. experiences that may have encouraged them to to pursue psychology or psychotherapy in our case. And I think I do relate to it at some level, but I wonder if the many is what's throwing me off. Mm. I think that, I don't know if I would call it necessarily an increased vulnerability based off of my experience, but I think it's something to consider that maybe people who are choosing to become mental health professionals do have certain life experiences that can put them at an increased vulnerability possibly, but maybe it's just something to think about rather than state that many people do it really does depend no i think that's true something interesting for sure for all of us to reflect on right because the more that we have that self-awareness the better we can be for our clients and better functioning we can be but yeah i I don't know i feel like i would need some time to really think about this statement and try to reflect on my own life other people's lives that i know of and see just how true it is, at least right now and in the small group of people that I'm aware of that are in mental health. I think this aspect of increased vulnerability does apply in other areas of the profession. Like Mm -hmm. if we think about working in a private practice or even in hospital settings, sometimes it can be very isolating. So when we think of those interactions that we have with clients, we have this obligation as 
professionals to maintain confidentiality within those interactions. So just because of that and the nature of our field, sometimes you might be very limited in what you can share with your colleagues. And that can be isolating in itself as well, where you aren't able to express some of your experiences and even have that back and forth unless you are in a supervision or an organized group meeting where you are able to openly talk about this. So I think that aspect can be a little isolating and that could also contribute to this increased ability of being vulnerable as a mental health professional. Absolutely. I think it also applies to other supports outside of work. In other professions, you might Mm -hmm. be able to come home and talk about how your day was and what happened in your day. But we really can't do that as mental health professionals. And I think that's really difficult because you do have very difficult interactions sometimes and things that can impact you outside of the work environment. And not being able to share that with loved ones can be definitely very isolating. Absolutely. And I think that's why self-care is just so important for psychologists, psychotherapists, anyone Mm -hmm. in this field, even doctors not being able to share a lot of information about what happens in their work and being able to just check in on yourself that way. Because I've definitely experienced it where if I'd have a really tough day in placement or even in my volunteering as a crisis responder, there's only Mm -hmm. so much I can share with people around me who care about me. And in that way, you're holding it to yourself and I think sometimes that can be really difficult and I think especially in those moments self-care is so important Mm -hmm. so you can do something else to even get your mind off of some of those really hard topics that people are working with day in and day out because you're really surrounded with various individuals are having a hard time in many situations so living through their experiences and taking that on as a professional as well you're there for support but sometimes it can be overwhelming for one person so I think At that point, really incorporating self-care practices are so vital. So the last point that this paper made was sort of exploring how as therapists or professionals, our focus is generally on the client's functioning, any issues that they have or any needs that they need to have met. And really, we're putting all the emphasis on them. And sometimes it's really important and it's necessary. But through shifting our focus on our clients, we sometimes forget about ourselves. And that can be really hard because you feel that other people might have bigger problems or that your concerns might not be as important right now. And in that case, our needs and our priorities sometimes can take the back seat. Mm -hmm. And although that can be helpful, especially when you're in a setting or in a session with another individual, It's not the most helpful when you're outside and you're thinking about everything going on, living through other people's experiences and really experiencing that vicarious trauma through your clients. At that point, really reflecting on what you need is something that can be very helpful, especially moving forward. I think that's a great point because I remember coming into the program, something that I personally had a goal to set out to do is keeping work at work and not bringing Mm -hmm. it home. And that is something that I've always been very connected and emotionally to people that I interact with, whether it was volunteering in the hospital or any other community engagement. And so that's something I thought of as a potential barrier to my functioning as a psychotherapist. And then Mm -hmm. I realized how difficult it actually is to do that. It's much easier to say, especially in a virtual world now um, where work is at home. And so the boundaries are all blurred. I find myself constantly thinking about either groups or different clients or just different situations. And 
finding a break from that and then thinking about yourself can sometimes also make you feel a little guilty like you mentioned like thinking that other people have bigger problems mm-hmm. i'm there for them and so i need to always be on my toes and be constantly just brainstorming ways that i can help them out and so we definitely do take a back seat and that's where i think that really being kind to yourself is so important And the idea that these people have come here and they're seeking support from you can make it really challenging and you feel very responsible for it. But of course, as we know, that's quite a big burden to be carrying all the time and to really be pushing away our own self-care can only do more harm than good. And I think all of these points are really important to reflect on, especially when we're thinking about why is self-care so important, especially for psychotherapists or individuals working in that mental health field. This idea that sometimes individuals could feel invulnerable because of their academic background and their knowledge in the field, where individuals who have chosen to pursue this career, maybe they have certain vulnerabilities and certain motivations that drove them to pursue the programs that they did go into. And also this idea of possibly being isolated as a mental health professional or even how refocusing all of our attention to our clients can sometimes Mm -hmm. really call for this need to put more of an emphasis and consideration on you as an individual and reflecting on, well, what do I need in this moment? And especially incorporating those self-care practices at that time. So as that research paper outlined, there can be many different factors that are unique to helping professions and in the case of the paper, psychology specifically, that might put psychologists at risk for just having a harder time engaging in self-care. And so related to that, we wanted to discuss just some of the consequences of neglected self-care. You might be aware that it is a very serious concern, of course, and the way that I think about self-care with psychologists or psychotherapists is would I be wanting to see a professional who isn't taking care of themselves and isn't giving themselves care that they need? And usually the answer is no, I don't want to be seeing that kind of professional. And that Mm -hmm. helps me put into perspective how I want to be there for my clients. And so some of these really difficult consequences that most professionals aren't even realizing can happen sometimes just because you're so involved in the ongoings of your client's life and that responsibility that you have a hard time noticing this kind of stuff. But I think just mentioning it might be really helpful for people and even as a students to start to recognize some of these signs. And some of the consequences could include disrespecting clients. So saying a comment that you typically wouldn't either out of exhaustion, frustration, whatever it might be. The big one, I think, is losing your sense of empathy and kindness. Mm-hmm. The more and more that you see different clients and aren't giving yourself a chance to reflect and have a break, the less your ability to show empathy and feel empathy for others, it it really isn't something that is constantly there. You have to refill the cup and you need to keep taking care of yourself so that you could be there for your clients. And I think that touches on that point really well. Also thinking about your work as being empty and meaningless. So just this ongoing machine that you might be feeling like you're functioning as, right? So going Mm -hmm. in, having a million meetings and then leaving and just constantly doing that day in, day out can start to feel really pointless in your life And you lose perspective as to why you even joined the field initially. A lot of different things that can impact just the way that you're functioning. Another consequence can be making more mistakes and lacking energy. I think those go really hand in hand. As we know, when you're fatigued and tired, you might make more mistakes and you just have a harder time in general. You could be feeling more anxious and afraid as a consequence. Also using work to block out negative feelings. So using that as a little bit of a coping strategy, which as we know 
especially when people's lives are at stake and you're working with vulnerable populations, it's really not a great idea to be using work as a coping strategy for really anything. And then lastly, just losing interest, commitment, meaning and excitement in the profession as a whole. And I would say even just in life as a whole, so just not having any interest in things. And as we know, that would be a very difficult, dull life to be living. So definitely not something that you would want to get deeper into as you're neglecting self-care more and more. Yeah, and I think just with our discussion today, there are so many factors that are jumping out at me and are saying, well, why isn't self-care more of a priority? And I think that's something that we should consider a bit more. I know that this paper reflected on having this preventative approach within self-care and addressing some of these concerns even that we talked about earlier, emotional fatigue, burnout, where we're really trying to incorporate self-care into the routine practices of even education and training. I know that when we reflect back on our program, and I'm sure others can relate to this, is that there isn't too much of an emphasis placed on self-care. It's reflected on, it's talked about, and it's encouraged, but there isn't an active action towards it. It's more so dependent on the students or other individuals to take on as their own responsibility. And although I, I believe at some point it is an individual's responsibility to see what works for them, I think there can possibly be more support provided, especially in professional settings or academic settings. I think that's a really good point about it not just being an individual's responsibility. And as you said, to a certain extent, there are things that you can do and steps you can take. But I feel like it's really a bigger process that we need to take either in education as well as work, as well as our home life and just community in general on our approach towards self-care and thinking of it as something that can be more embedded in these systems. So for example, in a work setting, just offering more leeway for people who need time off for mental health days, something like that. Or, you know, offering a little bit more incentives for people to actually take self-care time during their work day. I've heard of certain programs trying that where during lunchtime, instead of scheduling lunchtime meetings on Zoom, as we know, that's super exhausting and mm -hmm. awkward to have to eat in front of people on Zoom. But instead of doing that, taking people out and going for a walk as a team or, you know, whatever you're able to do, just small steps that way that can really help support people in their self-care journey. And I think that's the key is there's only so much an individual can do when you have different responsibilities, either at home, at work, at school. Uh, and so making it more of an embedded part of these systems can be a lot more helpful. And so it'll just be more normalized to be reflecting on your functioning and noticing when you need time for self-care. Yeah, and I think that point of having those lunchtime meetings is so important because I know that even sometimes we have like lunch and learns where yeah. you'll get to meet other people at lunchtime, talk about a certain topic while you're having your time, <laughs> you know, you're having your time to eat. And although it's supposed to be a little break, it mm -hmm. sometimes doesn't feel like we get a break because we're still no. so engaged. So I love the idea of taking a walk or maybe doing something else as a team where you might not need to put so much effort into what you're doing, where you mm -hmm. actually can give your mind and your body some time to relax and sort of yeah. rejuvenate for the rest of the day. So I think that's really important and can be very helpful even. And I think another part 
that could be supportive in more of an academic setting is organizing possibly peer support groups. I know that various programs probably have different versions of this. Mm -hmm. And I know that in certain medical schools, there are individuals who will have academic advisors and smaller groups of students from various years. So it really is a combined group of individuals from different levels in terms of first year students, second year students, and then you have your advisors. So you have this big combined group of individuals that are sort of there beyond an academic setting just to provide each other support, talk about their experiences, talk about things beyond school or beyond work. And I think that's really nice to have a group of individuals who are going through similar experiences as you to ask for advice, to have an opportunity to relate with others really. And I think that's something that other programs could also really benefit from. Like I know that in our cohort, it's been a bit of a challenge. Mm -hmm. Our whole program started all online because of COVID. So it's had its challenges in that sense. But I'm still really thankful that we've been able to create somewhat of a community through our class. We've tried to create informal coffee chats where we would meet up with individuals virtually and just offer space to talk socially beyond an academic setting, which has been very helpful. I think so too. And being in a group of people who understand your experiences and Mm -hmm. are kind of at the same stage of their career education as you is another very helpful part of having those coffee chats, I feel. We all just have a better sense of the different challenges, the obviously the amazing parts of the, the field as well, but really the challenges and we're able to connect over those and even offer suggestions to other people. Like sometimes we talk about cool TV shows that you can check out or an interesting new activity that you can do to take time for yourself. Or even offering that space to ask for advice and offer yeah. advice because sometimes you might be really stuck whether it's understanding a concept that we talked about Mm -hmm. in class or whether it's just you being confused about what to do in group therapy. I think having individuals who are going through those experiences, like you said, Navia, not only gives you advice from other people's experiences, but also makes you feel less alone and you don't feel like Mm -hmm. you have to go through it all on your own or by yourself. So I think that aspect of it is also very supportive and helpful. Yeah, and I think being in a grad program too, sometimes it can feel a little competitive and I've been really thankful that I haven't felt that way all that much with our program. And I think that's another way to just ease that pressure of feeling like you're competing with each other or you're trying to really like one up each other is having these supportive time for you to just talk about things and be very open about it and know that everyone else is there to support you and, and be there for you. And We did mention the coffee chats, and I think that's one way that I definitely like to engage with my classmates and take some time away from class. But I'm wondering, Prabhnur, what other kinds of self-care activities do you personally enjoy? Yeah, I think this has been an ongoing learning process. I think I've tried various things Mm -hmm. to see what what is enjoyable, what's fun, because I've had... Uh, a lot of struggles with figuring out is it fun or am I just getting annoyed <laughs> at something and I think this is and I'm referring to cooking with this I do love <laughs> cooking but sometimes it can be a bit of a struggle because if yeah. things are going well if my brother isn't helping me as much as I want and he's not cutting things the correct way <laughs> it can get frustrating but no I think I do like to do certain things that really take my mind off of everything entirely mm-hmm. and cooking baking are two things that I absolutely love and I've tried to incorporate them in some aspect and I think Mm -hmm. they're a bit more time consuming so it's hard to do those but even smaller things like 
watching TV or I really like to write. So incorporating those into smaller chunks throughout my day has been very helpful. And I think that's something that I want to sort of put out there is you don't have to take these big chunks of time out for self-care. It doesn't have to be this big event, although Mm -hmm. it can be. And sometimes people prefer that. But I think what's helped for myself is knowing that I don't necessarily have two hours out of my day or an hour out of my day to take out. But maybe while I'm having lunch or having dinner, put on some TV in the background and watch an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine or, (laughs) you know, something else. And that's that's been really fun because it sort of puts your mind off of everything else that's going on. Definitely. I think that's a great way to approach self-care, especially if you're just starting off in that journey and really trying to explore things is not putting all this pressure on it in terms of I need to like fill up two hours of self-care each day and making, you know, like it's helpful to schedule self-care. And I think that's something that's really been good for me is knowing that at the end of the day, I'm going to watch TV and that'll be my time to unwind or I really love Lego. (laughs) and So (laughs) that absolutely relaxes me and it just I don't know I somehow after Lego I feel rejuvenated and so that is something I really enjoy but recently something I've been trying is exercising and eating meals at more of an appropriate time for when Mm -hmm. I'm hungry and that helps me just tune into my body's sensations how I'm feeling and I feel like that does make me a little bit more present for when my clients are sharing something about themselves and just looking Mm. into and introspecting about how am I feeling in this moment and so yeah like there is some overlap in the sense that sometimes your self-care can really help you in sessions as well and can offer a lot of insight but just like simple things like eating meals and cooking doing things like that can be very very helpful and it's all about exploring what works for you whether you like to do it individually or as a group or with a partner it's totally up to you but Ultimately, as we know, there's a lot of benefits to it and something that we can support each other with for sure. Yeah, I think that's really important that you make the fact where it is so unique to every individual. Just in our conversation as well, you've shared how you like Legos and I shared I love to write and watch Mm -hmm. TV. There's definitely overlap, but there's also some unique things that are applicable to the two of us. And I'm sure everyone else is also very different. So exploring different things and taking out little chunks of time or if you want to set out a whole afternoon to spend time with your family or friends as self-care, do that. Explore what works and try incorporating those smaller bits if it's hard harder to take out a big chunk of time. Mm -hmm. So throughout our conversation so far, we've talked a lot about how mental health professionals can be at certain times more vulnerable to experiencing emotional fatigue or burnout and what you can do as self-care techniques to sort of combat some of those symptoms that you might be experiencing and really the importance of self-care, not only as professionals, but even as students going through the academic process and training and all of that and how You don't have to take out big parts of your life to engage in self-care. Maybe doing some smaller tasks can be important. Yeah, and just as we end, we want to remind you that this information is meant to be purely educational. We are not health professionals, just graduate students navigating these topics with you. So any podcast content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And we recommend that you always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions or concerns regarding your mental health and well-being. We do want to leave you with some resources if you feel that you'd like to explore those to learn more about mental health or if you are in crisis and need that extra support. Some of those resources include Good to Talk, 
Kids Help Phone, Crisis Text Line, Connects Ontario, Bounce Back Ontario, which is a free skill building program managed by Canadian Mental Health Association, or even Hope for Wellness Chat and Helpline, which offers immediate mental health counseling and crisis intervention to all Indigenous peoples across Canada. These are a few resources that we know of within Canada, but we do encourage you to explore your own local resources for mental health and please reach out to those resources if you need it. And just a reminder that you can connect with us through our email, which is so tell me more podcast at gmail.com, as well as our Instagram page at so tell me more podcast. You can check out our Instagram page for any future updates. And it's also a great way to connect with us and share what you're interested in hearing in our podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts or wherever else you're listening right now. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned something new or simply enjoyed our exploration of self-care in the mental health field and what we like to do to calm ourselves down at times. We're excited to continue exploring new topics in the future episodes, but for now, stay safe and take care.